1: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon, and congratulations to Ali Carter. He's won the German Masters for the second time, only the third player to have won it more than once, Mark Williams and Judd Trump being the others. Uh, it's about Alex Higgins. It's ten years on from his first. Of course, he was runner-up to the Hamilton in the, in between, and a lot's happened on and off the table for Ali in that ten-year period, of course. Uh, he's a terrific player, I think. I always think of him as a top-16 player, even when he's not in the top-16. He had fallen out said on the commentary tonight, you know, it's quite hard once you fall out to get back in, because you get tougher draws, you end up having to go to qualifiers, which are no fun, and you can get stuck in a rut a little bit if you drop out, Dave Gilbert has found this hasn't he, and there's other players as well, who, you know, you think, oh they're top 16 players, they just slip out, it's very hard to get back in, but one good week can transform things, that's what he's had in Berlin, he beat Tom Ford 10 in the final, Ford led 2-0. He started with a century, 121. You think, okay, you know, this could be his day. But Carter, well, he won 10 of the next 11 frames, didn't he? Played well. Um, I I was slightly surprised by, Okay, he was disappointed to lose, but Tom Ford sort of saying he didn't think Ali played well. Well, I thought he did this afternoon. I thought he got on a run, he made a string of breaks, and, uh, yeah, uh, he seemed happy with his performance and uh, controlled the match well, kept things tight, didn't sort of give Ford easy openings, Tom Ford made mistakes as well. Obviously, it was a massive occasion for him. Uh, in due course, he'll take the the, the the positives, the benefits, I'm sure. But Ali Carter, it's all turned around. He's back in the top 16, so looking good to be seeded for the Crucible. He's going to be in the Players' Championship, more than likely the Tour Championship. He'll be in the Champion of Champions. He's now leading the race for the Bet Victor European Series, which is 150,000. So that victory, potentially, I mean, it's 80,000 for winning it. But potentially, you can put another... I'm not kidding here, another quarter of a million on top of that In terms of sort of earnings you could get from it And that is uh, quite a turnaround, it's got to be said For a player, he wasn't languishing, but he was 23 in the world And as I say, you sort of see him as a top 16 player He is someone I know who sort of divides opinion I can only speak as a fine, he's always been impeccably polite to me Really good with me whenever I've had to deal with him Um, Just a sort of sound chap, I think, and and a really good player And, uh, you know, he's a proper winner, 5th ranking title and uh, just a, a terrific uh, achievement, and brings uh, brings to, brings to the, the tournament to an end. And the crowd, you know, I mean, they got behind Tom Ford when he was struggling. They are really terrific. That crowd. I know we always say it, it's become almost a cliche, but they are brilliant, and they make that event. It's a shame the final wasn't closer, but they loved every minute of it, regardless. You know, they supported the event, and uh, it's it's a tournament everyone loves being in. Everyone loves to go to, and of course, Ali Carter will love winning it. Now, uh here's the thing, okay, I've, to save a bit of time, I recorded earlier today the emails, but since I recorded them, we've had a couple more come in, so I'm going to answer a couple before we go to the ones that have come in, and there may be some crossover. Some would say it's not very well planned, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, we're doing our best. So you're going to hear a couple of emails that have come in, you know, under the wire, and then you'll hear my recording answers to emails. I say earlier on, it wasn't like three weeks ago, it was only earlier today. It's not like Jules Holland re-recording the Hootenanny in July. We don't do that. Um, I don't think he does that either. But anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, yes, so emails to come, uh, but uh, the bottom line is, well done to Ali Carter. So we have Richard Hamilton. Says, uh, forgive me for being a bit late to the party on this, as time has elapsed since the events, but here's a few points I have in my head regarding the snooker scene. Mark Allen seems to be having the season of his life, and for me he's probably fourth favourite for the Worlds after Ronnie Trump and Selby. And what a great thing to see Trump adding more triple crowns to his CV. <laughs> regarding the snooker shootout, I think one thing regular snooker could take from it into the traditional format is the blue ball shootout for tied frames. For me the respotted spotted black inevitably starts defensively, which isn't to everyone's taste, Whereas blue ball is more attacking and appealing to a casual fan. The only thing with that is that that's presupposing. Then you're saying you'd have to go for the blue, um, which would be a complete change. And I actually don't agree with that. I think the skill of the respot is actually. I quite like it. Um, anyway, people will have their own views on that. Richard adds: Jack Lisowski. I've seen him getting stick regarding his loss at the German Masters, but all fans know what can happen under pressure. While I agree it was a cracking opportunity for him to break his duck, we can't underestimate the talent of Tom Ford who, who succumbed to, and Ali Carter, who we would have played in the final. To call him a bottler is a tad unfair. Well, I mean, the, you know, it, it's tough out there, and, and I can assure you almost everybody who's criticised Jack has never been out there or experienced that, and if they did, they would crumble. And also, I think it's fair to ask wh- exactly what they've achieved. Uh, listen, it was it was a bad loss. He should have won. Um, you know, there's no... You can't sugarcoat that. He should have won. He was 52-0 up. He had him snookered. He had a chance at the Red. But, you know, it's tough. It's very tough. And he'll come back. And all you can do is just keep knocking on the door. Um, And eventually, you know, hope it will open. It's tough to come back from that. But he will. Because he has to. Be at the next event. He's playing well in general. He's playing well in general. And I think that, um, you know, he... <laughs> He will find his way eventually. It's taken a long time. It was a good chance to win the tournament. But as you say, you know, Ali Carter in the final would have been a very tough match. So it's not, people were sort of handing him the, the title earlier in the week. That was ridiculous. You know, they're not easy to win. That's the point. They're not easy to win. And Tom Ford made an unbelievable clearance in <laughs> that decider. Really, really good clearance. So, you know, it's just one of those things, I'm afraid. Now Gordon Hughes has written on the German Masters the new format, and that is hand. I'll handle that later, Gordon, in in the in the in the in the, in the already recorded section. I'm going to talk about the new potential format. So if you don't mind, I'm going to gloss over that. Um, you say on a different semi-related topic: Is Twitter still a relevant social media platform for snooker? Whether that be journalists, pundits, commentators, players, indeed, World well, Snooker Tour as a company, we learned recently via online sources familiar with the matter that Twitter now wants to make businesses pay $1,000 a month to have a gold checkmark on their profile, plus $50 for every additional profile they want to count as an affiliate for them. This could reach into quite significant expenditure for what is effectively a checkmark, and considering there are more pressing things to spend money on, perhaps, (laughs) perhaps such as making the scoreboard system less rubbish, it would seem detrimental to WST for them to pay out so much money a year just to have a 32 by 32 image graphic on a social media platform that's clearly heading towards irrelevance. Should WST move to other platforms such as Discord or even their own self-hosted Mastodon inst- instance? Mastodon is just a decentralised version of Twitter, as the look and feel is very similar. Should they ditch Twitter? Well, is, I'll be honest, Gordon, this is the first I've heard of this. I, I, I haven't, uh, these online sources that you've mentioned I've not heard from. So I, I literally, this is the first I'm hearing of it, but uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, I suppose in due course we'll find out. I'll sh- I shall speak to, the, uh, to Sam, the social media man from World Snooker, see if he knows any more about it. He says, uh, finally, if you had a choice between commentating on site at a venue over commentating remotely, which would you prefer and why? Does being on site in a commentary box overlooking the table provide a better experience of the atmosphere of the match compared to remotely commentating on a match from a TV screen and not being able to actually see the players directly and hearing the atmosphere of a venue through a glass box? itself, I think it is better to be at the venue, you know, there's a, we do a mix of them, um, because you do experience the, the atmosphere that the crowd are, and also you can see things, you know, that are not on camera, for example, you know, I always like to watch the player who's not at the table, how they're feeling, you're more part of it, but uh, expediency means we can't do that at every event, for some reason people like to pick Eurosport up on that, but so many sports on all the channels are done like that, including the BBC, including Sky, not every sporting event you watch on those channels, the commentators are there. Uh, it's not just Eurosport by any means. And, uh, you know, I go to, to plenty of tournaments as well. So I, you know, I, I'm happy to listen. I'm happy to be doing the job either way. I, I suppose that's the answer to that. Now, finally, before we get to the recorded emails, if this makes any sense at all, the order we're doing it, Kelly Barker's just come in under the wire. Literally just come in. So, Kelly, nice to hear from you. She has won a drawback five days of the German Masters. Well played Ali Carter, he was due another win and this was thoroughly deserved. A word for Tom Ford though, who played so well to reach the final, then just seemed to run out of steam after going 2-0 up. He could be pleased with his week, though with some good wins against Kyron, and then especially the decider against Jack in the semis. Speaking of Jack, very disappointing how he let that semi-final slip away, I felt... And despite the progress between the years since Edmonton started working with him, there's still work to do. Hopefully that title will come soon, though, as we'd all love to see it happen. Question, is Jack a little bit too talented for his own good? (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, Kelly, but I mean, I think he should be given credit for the way he came back from 5-3 down, actually. Um, He played two really good frames. I've already mentioned what happened in The Decider just got to keep on kicking against the door, you know, and hope that one day, it, 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 you know, it, it sort of gets knocked down. Um, too talented, I don't know about that, I think that it's about doing it at the crunch, isn't it, in those crunch moments, and uh, it can only really come from experience, I think. Um, I'm going to write a piece this week for the Sport website about him, and um, just looking back at his sort of story, which I think is really interesting, and Listen, he's a top player. This is, I mean, there was a, i did a, a, an episode a couple of years ago, about three years ago, What is Success? And I was talking about Michael Holt and how you define success. We define success in sport in a very narrow way. It's basically you've got to win things. Um, but actually, Jack Lazowski took up snooker as a boy, as a hobby, and he's made a good living from it. He's earning sort of 200 grand a year. That's quite successful. But we very narrowly define success as, OK, you've got to win trophies. And that's understandable because that is what sport's about. But he's successful at snooker. It's just that he needs to start landing titles. That That's the icing on the cake. To not be successful would be to not be able to earn a living from it and to have to do something else. Um, so, yeah, I think, listen, we all, I think, want Jack to do well. And he's doing well. He's doing well. It's just about getting that, that you know, that one piece of the puzzle that's left, which is a trophy. Kelly continues a word also for Robert Milkins after a super, super week, especially the maximum and a 146. And also mention for Jimmy White. Amazing to see him playing as well as he is this season. Looking forward to these next events now as we start the build up to Sheffield. Well, absolutely. And yeah, Jimmy was, uh, you know, just great to see that enthusiasm, the legendary enthusiasm he has coming to the fore again. And, and Rob Milkins. Yeah. I mean, you know, to make a 147 and a 146 only happened once before. Um, Stephen Hendry actually did it the other way round. He made the maximum first in the UK Championship '95, and in the last frame of the whole tournament to win the tournament, inevitably he made a one four six. But uh, Milkins, uh, you know, that, that's that's quite sort of stylish, isn't it, to, to set the high break target with a one four six and then beat it with your own one four seven. Terrific stuff. It was a good tournament, I think, and uh, you know, roll on the next one. So we've had some feedback about the shootout. And uh, Scott Pease has written, he says, I just want to write in about how much I enjoyed watching the shootout. I think there are two main draws for me. One is the box of chocolates nature, getting to see every player on and off the tour strut their stuff. I caught one of the matches with the Moldovan teenager, and wow, he was great. This is um, Vladislav Gradinari. He says, I hope we see more of him. It's also good to see Michael Holt back back in action, and I thought, oh no, he's forgotten about the high break prize when he was clearing up the colours. Well, yes, he did. Of course, he <laughs> could have uh, he could have won that, but because uh, he went to Chris Wakeland in the end. Uh, Scott says the second is how much drama and variety can manage to fit into ten minute increments. Lazowski's buzzer beater, blue ball shootouts, tent slow scorers. Mark Williams is cool as cucumber. Big breaks during Tepchire's encounter against Deshawat, I was emoting like a monkey who'd wandered into a banana warehouse. (laughs) What a sentence. Uh, So I really don't think any other player could have done as well as Tepchaya in that spot. I'm happy for Chris Wakelin though when it was semi-finals time I was thinking how each player winning would be good in its own way. I'm still waiting for someone to complete what I'm now calling the double crown, the World Championship and Shootout. Perhaps a Jester's hat patch to go next to the gold crown patch. Well, don't give, don't give them ideas. But of course, uh, Mark Selby and Mark Williams, two world champions, have been runner-up in the shootout uh, in recent years. But uh, as you say, no one has uh, no one has yet done the double. Uh, Matt Tarrant, he says, uh, I was really interested. And we had an email last week from Dave Tyndall talking about sort of expanding the shootout. He says I was interested in Dave's email regarding a shootout tour in the light of his teenage sons' reaction. I had the same experience with my 16 and 14 year old daughters taking an interest. Well, certainly more of an interest. Knowing it was in Leicester, we're in Derby as I occasionally like to mention, the 16 year old asked if we could go on Sunday. Of course, there was no, no Sunday. But I genuinely think Dave is onto something. Like him, I really enjoyed the event on the box. My proposal is to mix it up and alongside the tried and tested one frame event have a tournament, maybe with qualifying to 64 in a tournament where the frames are in 10 minute shootout format but we play best of five. This would mean every game could be played in an hour. No restroom breaks permitted. Making scheduling easy for TV remove some of the claims of it being a lottery. Spend some money in promotion and a good city centre venue near bars and eateries. Oh, how we miss the assembly rooms. And work with a TV licence free-to-air, no such, free-to-air, no such thing as free-to-air broadcaster. In recent podcast, Dave, you've said that a problem for broadcasters is the flexible end time for snooker matches. Problem solved. You've also said that snooker is sometimes too slow to change with the example of the shootout set. Well... How's a best-of-five shootout tournament for development? My thinking is it's got to be worth a try. Dave T and I will take our kids for a start. Well, maybe if it's not in Turkey, as we'd be concerned about cancelling flights and getting a refund. A little bit of satire there to end on that. Well, instinctively... I, I, here's what I think about your, your idea. Instinctively, I'm against the idea of a shootout event being best-of-five. The novelty is it's ten minutes. Um, I think, actually... It's a bit like having too much pudding, you'd end up getting a little bit sick. Uh, best of five, no thanks. I'm not entirely against another shootout, maybe outside of the UK. But as I say, you know, I think we have to be careful of sort of maybe not appreciating what the novelty value is. And no- novelties can wear off, I suppose. Um, Six Reds, interesting, is coming back, isn't it? The Six Reds World Championship. Now, when that was launched, we're going back about 15 years. There was all sorts of talk. That would be, you know, the 2020 of snooker and etc cetera, et cetera. It might take over from the traditional game. It didn't. We have one event a year. That's enough. At the moment, we have one shootout event a year. Personally, I think that's enough. Maybe we could have another one somewhere else. I mean, we've been in Germany, obviously, this week. I'm sure they would love it there. Maybe, you know, before a big tournament. But uh, I don't see any real potential in having some sort of shootout tour, because I just think snooker, as it is now, is popular enough, frankly. Now, David Burney in Canada has written on the shootout, but also other important matters, including facial hair. So, uh, it's all covered here. He said, "Um, I wanted to chime in on a couple of things. Going back to a previous podcast about facial hair on players, most players would get their beards caught on an ash cue. And I think, as that happens, they decide to cut their beards off. However, a solution has been found as a good friend of mine, Sam Tunning, told me to try beard oil. Bingo, and now my ash cue goes for my beard like a hot knife through butter. Talking about the shootout, I think it would be, it should be a one-time year event, but in new territories it, be sho- it should be shown more, or even the 900 series. As people's attention spans are rather quick today, and I believe showing new fans either the shootout or the 900 series will get them hooked. I love your prediction about a pro event in the USA, And maybe we could get an event in Canada as well. But as we all know, it all comes down to the dollars or pounds or whatever currency is in your country. Also, I heard you were thinking of coming across the pond sometime in the off-season. Feel free to reach out if you're on the west coast of Canada or America. A tour guide I shall be. Well, thank you. I'll bear that in mind. Just on the attention span thing, I actually think this is a bit of a myth that people's attention spans have become... More um, limited in the modern age. Um, there's, there's been studies that suggest it's not true, but anyway, well, that's, that's maybe for another podcast. Uh, David continues. Now for the big news: the BC Open Snooker Championship will be held this coming weekend on February the 10th to the 12th at Top 147 Snooker and Billiards Lounge in Richmond's in in Richmond. We are extremely excited about the event as we sold out two weeks before the deadline. Good to see that snooker continuing to grow out here. Uh, as well i've included a link so the listeners can check out our program. we haven't had one in twenty years uh, now obviously this is, uh, this is not an audio service, but'll i uh, but if you if you search uh, the snooker Canada's facebook page i'm sure there'll be a link on there because that 's where the streaming is according to David, the action starts at ten a m local time each day, so it'll be six o'clock british time also we'll be revealing the new trophy that i've made for the event i've included some photos for you to look at. And listeners can see the trophy on the front of the cover of the programme. It's an amateur event, so you might not see a ton of centuries, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of excitement on the bays. Thanks for letting your listeners know what's happening out here in Western Canada. Feel free to share the link to the programme with any snooker people you feel would like to look at it. Well, thank you, David. And, uh, yes, the, the trophy, I mean, uh, Phil Haig from Talking Snooker, he's a trophy man, but uh, the trophy is very, very nice, it's got to be said. Uh, so, as I say, if you go on Snooker Canada's Facebook page, all the information that you require will be on there. Uh, now, last week, someone wrote in asking how to get ITV in Ireland, and a few people reached out, and Brian McGovern uh, is written in. He said, uh, you had an email regarding availability of ITV in the Republic of Ireland. I'm a Sky customer and enjoy the snooker on both ITV and Eurosport. With Sky, you have to manually tune in, as they aren't available on the main Sky platform like the UK. With the Sky Q box, you go to manual tuning. You need to Google the codes, as that's the easiest way to get them. Well, there we are. That's what I thought. Um, So, because we have a lot of Irish uh, uh, listeners and snooker fans, and they do watch ITV in Ireland, so that's how to do it. If you've got Sky, um, you can manually tune in ITV4, and therefore you can uh, watch the snooker. Andy Doherty, he says, uh, I'm writing regarding the state of the tour and funding of events. I get there's a huge amount of money involved, and therefore it's hard to attract sponsors. But why isn't the prize money lowered to encourage sponsorship? Let's face it, it's 50000 is it, is it fifty thousand plus needed for winning an event. Also, with attracting more sponsorship, you could increase events and filter some money down to the grassroots. Seems like we're going the same way f- football clubs are, and something has to give. Also, WST seriously needs to raise their profile and the merchandise they sell. With regards to televised events, why don't we have a WST channel? A subscription will generate massive cash flow and interviewing players, etc., showing behind the scenes all go the same way Formula One did when they set up their own and charge Sky, etc., to plug into their feed. Well, on that last point, it's a very simple reason why they don't have that and that's because there's already a streaming partner, uh, Discovery Plus, and they pay World Snooker to show... Uh, the, the, the circuit. So it would not be in World Snooker's interest to abandon that and do it themselves without any, I mean, you say people would subscribe, but we don't know how many people would subscribe actually. And it may, maybe they would lose fortunes on it because the production costs would be considerable if, if the production for all the events were the responsibility of World Snooker. You know, that would be a lot of outlay. There's no way of knowing how many people would pay for the service at the moment. You know, they have a, a partner who, who is paying for it and I'm sure they're happy with that. Um, as for your other points Well I actually think uh, Big first prizes are a good thing Sport is supposed to reward excellence And achievement And headline figures in terms of big first prizes Can help to sell events There are disparities I mean th- th- it's gone there But the Gibraltar Open The prize structure there was pretty ridiculous You know it tapered down very quickly um, To you know to quite little actually It was 6,000 in the semis uh, For a 50,000 first prize Um Sponsorship is not easy to attain in the current climate. Obviously, you know the cost of living and, and et cetera. There's a lot of um, complications in the UK uh, economy for various reasons: COVID, Brexit, lots of other things as well. Um, and you know, snooker struggles for sponsors anyway because it's a sport that's quite hard to. It's quite hard to define who you're aiming at. You know, in terms of golf and tennis, there's a very clear view of the sort of people that follow those sports now obviously the the truth is there's a vast amount of different people who follow those sports but you you can sort of plug into a classically middle class quite well off audience for those sort of sports snooker's a bit different it's a very varied audience and you know sponsors are not always sure who they're aiming at and just being on tv prominently is not always enough um because they they they're looking at sort of a specific uh, demographic if you like um so, lowering prize, money, I'm not really sure that's the way to go. Um, not least because the players going to earn less, aren't they? But anyway, thank you uh, for the email. Now then, Liam McMullen. This is on the German Masters. I was initially disappointed on the Wednesday evening watching the German Masters in that the main table shown on the Eurosport channel was Corin Wilson and Sam Craigie. I wanted to watch the Jimmy White match and thought there'd be no commentary on that table via the player. But huzzah, you were there alone. This is, ve- this is so very appreciated when the broadcasters do this. It's so much more enjoyable with commentary and hopefully can be added into more events. But it got me thinking, how much more do you prefer commentating with someone else, if at all? Presumably it's much harder and takes more prep to do the match alone. You carry the solo commentary well and keep a great mix of shot calling without purely player expert analysis, plus story, facts and dramatic nuance. Although I personally prefer two commentators, as I'm sure we all do, this is a great solution to a mouth-watering table two fixture that otherwise may have had none. Well, thank you, Liam. I mean, yes, I was called in to do that because obviously there was a lot of interest in Jimmy's match. Uh, this was the first round against Pengi Song. Um, it, it was a different sort of commentary because we were, we were just on um, Discovery Plus. It wasn't being broadcast on linear television. And because I was commentating on my own, I decided I very much wanted to involve people watching because I knew a lot of people would be watching. So we had a lot of tweets, met sort of thoughts about Jimmy, memories of meeting him. It was quite interactive in a way that a television commentary wouldn't be, and this is a whole other discussion maybe about whether whether sort of the broadcast model needs to move on. I don't know. That's 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 maybe a discussion for another time. But I thought as I was on my own, in a way, I wouldn't be on my own because I would involve other people. And as I say, we had a lot of uh, good feedback, and it was actually a good example of social media actually working really well because a lot of people just were just saying they were enjoying watching Jimmy and and sharing memories of him. I think yeah, I definitely prefer to commentate with, with someone else because then you have your set roles. Um, I'm the lead commentator there, the analyst, and we sort of, you know, all the people I work with, everyone understands what the roles are. But I enjoyed doing that match, and obviously, you know, it being Jimmy, that was, uh, that made it, uh, that made it extra special. Alpha Bonzi. He uh, says a combination of not having Eurosport and work commitments have meant I haven't seen as much of the action in Berlin as I would have liked. But that doesn't stop me asking kinda sort of big questions and there's only two this week it says number one is it time for all overseas ranking events not just the german to go back to a tiered format i.e. see the top 16 directly to the venue well let's answer that one for a start because of course next year it's been announced that next year the german masters is being extended to seven days now i said last week uh it's currently five of course i said last week i thought the format would change i hadn't actually seen this coming though because i was always told for years that the reason it wasn't longer was because the Temper drone costs so much to hire that actually, you know, you're in danger of losing money if you if you hire it for longer. Because, of course, they're not hiring it from the Monday to Sunday. They have to get in there at least two days before. So you're actually hiring it for the weekend. And it's more expensive to hire at the weekend because at the weekend you can get concerts and other things in there. So it's actually quite an outlay to, to have a seven-day tournament Because in reality, you're booking the venue for longer than seven days to get the tables in, to get the set done, everything, all of that stuff. Um, So it opens up possibilities. The most obvious one is more players. Um, 64 players, maybe, rather than 32. There will be an opportunity to hold over from the first round, you know, three or four top players. I'd certainly think it would be great if they had Lucas Kleckers there, the German professional. I mean, the fact he has to go to Cannock or Leicester or, or wherever to qualify for his own event is a little absurd. And it doesn't help the tournament. There's been a lot of chat about the sort of the big names not being there, but actually him playing at the drone would be a wonderful thing, so that opens up the scope for that. You could have morning sessions sell more tickets, have more matches, or you could have the u k championship format, which is fewer tables, but concentrate on excellence, so have the top sixteen plus sixteen qualifiers um, I think it 's pretty clear what we 're not going to have is what we had this year so in some way, it's going to change. Either we either have more players there or we're going to have the elite group plus the qualifiers there uh, played over, you know, on, on fewer tables. Um, it's not been announced yet. I'm sure it's, <laughs> the reason it's not been announced is because it's still being discussed. Um, and, you know, it's, I guess it's a sort of battle between what World Snooker Tour want to continue with, with the tiered format, and what the promoters quite rightly want in terms of ticket sales. Ticket sales this year look, look perfectly fine to me, and certainly last three days it was packed. Um, but there's an opportunity, obviously, next year to sell more because they'll have more days. Um, so it's it's good to see the tournament expand um, because it's such a great event. And uh, in terms of should they all go back to the tiered format, uh, it, it seems that sort of slowly that's, that's happening. I know there's talk about, certainly I know, of one of their event next season where this is being discussed. So because they've changed the UK Championship, you know, it, they can't say, oh, we're not going to change anything else. The, the, these discussions will be had, and maybe when we go back to China... Assuming we do go back there, it may be that we have to take fewer players anyway because of Covid restrictions, so that might force the hand to change that. But uh, I think uh, it's, it's exciting times for the German Masters that certainly you know, there's, there's two extra days the Berlin fans get to watch more snooker, which is great for them. Alpha's second question, he said, if the players' championship started on Monday, O'Sullivan, Higgins and Robertson wouldn't be invited. What does that say about their season in the ranking events? Well... <laughs> But evidently, it says I'm learning the points. Simple as that. Uh, John Higgins seems to have had a sort of hangover from you know, the, the disappointments of, of last season, not closing out those finals. He's not quite looked right all season. Of course, Ronnie O'Sullivan's won two big events. He won in Hong Kong, he won the Champions. He hasn't performed particularly well in, in the ranking tournaments. And Neil Robertson, I mean, he's been in three semi finals in Home Nations events, but of course, he missed the first three tournaments. He didn't play Championship League, European Masters, or British Open. And therefore he was sort of starting from a long way back against everyone else. The British Open was the mysterious one because he played in the in the mixed doubles, which was literally two days before British Open at the same venue and if he 'd have won probably one match in that British Open at least one match, you know he probably by now would would be sort of in the mix for the players championship, so he put himself under pressure to win a tournament, which you know he does most years or every year actually. So I guess he felt, well, I'll come along and win something. It's not happened yet. And, of course, all three of those, I mean, Higgins is basically out of it, but O'Sullivan and Robertson will have to get something out of the Welsh Open, which is the last counting event. Ronnie looks like he'll have to get to the final. And Robertson, it's hard to judge exactly because there are other players in the mix, but probably last 16 quarterfinals as a minimum he will need to get to. Now, both of those things could happen, of course, but... They're sort of leaving it late. But it does raise, I think, an interesting question, which has not been asked here, but I'm going to ask it of the audience, which is this. Why aren't the defending champions in these players' series events invited back automatically? At the Masters, if you win the Masters, but drop out of the top 16, you will still be invited back as number one seed. But the World Grand Prix, the Players' Championship, the Tour Championship, it's like the slate is wiped clean. Whoever won it last year, they're not invited back as of right. It's the... Uh, top 32, top 16, top 8 on the one year list this season. Now there's arguments for and against. The argument against inviting them back is that it, it, it it's no longer a level playing field. Someone who's being parachuted in who may have no form at all <laughs> all season, might not have, you know, might not have won a match, but are getting into these big events and earning ranking points, you know, uh, having not performed during the campaign like everybody else. So that's the argument against it. The argument for it is, well, why, why does it happen in every other event then? Every other event you get invited back. Uh, the, like the Masters is the most obvious example. Why why do you get invited back in that one? I mean, it usually doesn't happen, of course, that, that, that the player will drop out of the top 16. But if they did, they would still be seeded number one in that tournament. I have to say, I, on balance, would be against inviting back the defending champion. Not by much. It's not, not a massive thing. And also, it's not really something I've thought about that much. But in terms of how I feel, like, I quite like how it's done now because it is all on this season. But it does seem a bit odd. That Neil Robertson wins the Players' Championship and then just isn't in it the next year, potentially. Um, it, 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 as I say, no other tournaments have operates like that. Um, but uh, any, anyone's views on that would be welcome. Uh, Richard Radcliffe. So I was very interested to hear your comments on your recent podcast, especially about social media and the realities of putting tournaments on. I suppose it's the nature of many to only comment on things when, they've had, when they have something bad to say. Social media, unless massively regulated, is a haven for negative comment, with unfortunately those shouting the loudest, most negatively or controversially, being emphasised. This then gets into other media, blowing these comments up out of all proportion, resulting in the false appearance that this is the majority view. I heard recently probably less than 1 in 200 express their views through social media, so it's totally unrepresentative of the general view. More accurate is the feeling around tournaments, the camaraderie between fans and players and the pleasure the snooker brings, the vast majority, brings to the vast majority who watch it. The recent Turkish Masters cancellation was a case in point. So much negative comment. I'm so glad you pointed out how many tournaments are on the calendar these days compared to pre-2010 days. On reflection, I best, I bet World snooker tour wished they'd held back for five days and announced concurrently the cancellation of the Turkish Masters and it being replaced with the WST Classic tournament. Well, I'll just jump in there, Richard. It's a good point, that, actually. I think that, that could have been potentially handled better because I think they were always going to put on... I mean, the, the Turkish cancellation didn't come out of the blue. It had been talked about for a long time. Um, and it seemed like the tournament may still go ahead. But they'd always had this contingency. If they had to cancel it, they were going to put something else on. So they could have actually dovetailed the two announcements. And then the, the publicity wouldn't have been so bad if immediately it had been announced there was another tournament. They did leave it, as you say, a few days... And there was time then for for people to sort of, you know, give them a kicking, really, which uh, was a bit unfortunate. Anyway, Richard continues, uh, on a more positive note, the shootout was a great success once again. It's now well established on the calendar. Expect the unexpected is the mantra here, and it always conjures up great stories. Your and Neil Folt's commentary on Jang's theatrics were priceless. The happiness of Chris Wakelin fulfilling his dream. The exciting emergence of the Belgian beast, Julian Leclerc. Remind of how great players the likes of Holt and Dale really are. The shootout is great as a once a season for a few days event for tour players. It's great the amateurs have their own version, the 900 Snooker Legends event, which appeared to be a success too. Hopefully both will continue for many years to come. Snooker continues to bring lots of joy to many. Thank you for sharing your enthusiasm for this great game. Well, thank you, Richard, for sharing yours. And uh, what you say about social media is correct, of course, and it is true that negative voices get amplified it's not all bad as I say when I did that Jimmy White match there was a lot of good feedback but um, I think it's important to to put the sort of uh, the noise if you like into perspective it's not always easy particularly if you're a player and you're getting stick from all and sundry when you haven't really done anything wrong but um, that is unfortunately the sort of nature of it uh, now then Jackie writes Uh, I have two quick questions for you. First, why were the scores on the bottom of the screen bigger for the shootout? And can they they be that size for all the tournaments? Also, I have a white World Snooker Tour earpiece. Would that work at other tournaments? Um, On the first point, I I don't specifically know. I suppose it's just a branding thing. I understand what you're saying. People who are partially sighted, I guess, do need to see bigger graphics. And that's something I will pass on. I can't promise anything will change, but I'll pass it on. The earpiece, um, I, I don't know about this, but I'm hoping... Snooker fans who go to tournaments can let me know So Jackie has a white earpiece um, Would that work at other tournaments uh, I don't, I'm don't. I not going to say either way I, Because I know that they do change And I wouldn't want you turning up with one And finding it doesn't work So hopefully other snooker fans Can let us know about that uh, Darren writes now, uh, Darren writes I've been an avid listener to the podcast for many years I'm Irish based in Toronto In Canada I play snooker out here at Jim White's club I have two questions. Why does Eurosport not have a studio anymore for the German Masters? Correct me if I'm wrong, I know they used to. Well, I'll answer that. I mean, it's, it's only ever going to be budgetary, and um, we, we were there at one point, but uh, th- th- there's been, uh, I guess it's just a change of emphasis, and you know, you have a budget for the year's production, and you divide that between the various tournaments, and it would, maybe was felt there just wasn't enough left to do the German in the way it had been done before. Second question, what's the status of the Saudi Arabia event? I know this would be a great addition to the tour, with the huge money on on offer, but there's not been much word of it in a while. Well, you say it would be a great addition, Darren. Not everyone agrees with that, of course, because Saudi Arabia is a very controversial place to to have sport, as we know, and and we've had these uh, discussions already. In terms of what happened to it, Covid came along, and that seemed to spell the end of it. Now, there was talk of it when we were in uh, Cheltenham for the World Grand Prix, Talk came up about this And there was a sort of rumour went round It might be back on That was sort of squashed a little bit by uh, the, the authorities as it were They were saying oh no we, we don't think that's the, the case So we don't really know It hasn't sort of um, Formally come back onto the calendar Put it that way So at the moment it seems it's not happening But uh, it's not to say Not to say that's forever obviously um, But at uh, the moment it seems It's not happening uh, Now then We have D in Dublin. Firstly, can I say I love your podcast? It's like an all-familiar friend. You look forward to spending time with them on Monday. (laughs) Thank you. I have two questions and an observation. Re logos on players' attire. Number one, what are the rules with regard to what can be displayed? Number two, why are there generally so few logos on players? It may be related to the first question. Observation, the nature of the logos for me is a barometer the markability of the sport. The logos are often connected to a local sponsor. This, while understandable, begs the question why players are not offered sponsorship by well known brands. The answer, I think, lies in the fact that despite the best efforts of World Snooker Tour, this remains a niche sport which only has a certain reach. With the heyday of the 80s, a distant memory, I'm at a loss as to how the status quo can be changed. To end on a positive note, it may be a niche sport, but it's my sport and I love it. Well, so say all of us, Dee? Um, It kind of goes back, I think, in a way to what I was saying earlier about sort of, you know, sponsors looking at snooker. Okay, what's in it for us? Who are the people who follow snooker? Where is the demographic that we're looking for? Um, Does snooker, is snookers appeal too broad for sponsors and logo sponsors to come in and say, okay, we're going to sort of... You know, we're going to go with them if you like. In terms of the rules, I think I'm writing saying that they're different depending on the broadcasters. The BBC obviously have rules on advertising, being a public service broadcaster, that are different to commercial television. So I believe on the BBC you can only wear two logos. One of them is the lo- is the sponsor of the tournament, so that's put on you. So let's say it's Bet Victor or Kazoo or whoever it is that gets put on you, and then you can have your own second one. But I also think now, on the sleeve, you're allowed one. So you have a sleeve sponsor. So in, a, in effect, it's three. I, I think other tournaments, you can potentially have more. But certainly, I was always under the impression of the BBC, it was two. But in reality, it's really only one, because one is the name of the sponsor, plus now this this sleeve sponsor. Um, in terms of why players don't have more, well, that's what are they doing to get them, I suppose, is, is the question. If they just expect people to ring them up and want to sponsor them... I spoke last week about how players could promote themselves more um, and, you know, I, I always find it a bit odd when you see players like two days before they're going to play in a tournament on social media saying, oh, I'm playing on Wednesday. Does anyone want to put a logo on me? Well, surely that should be all be done weeks before, shouldn't it? Um, a lot of players get good money for the uh, logos that they wear. I know that much. Um, but obviously, you know, they tend to be the higher-ranked players. But that's why something like the shootout was good because everybody as as was said earlier on tour, played in the shootout. Everyone was seen on TV for at least 10 minutes. So if you're looking to get uh, value for your logo sponsorship, a tournament like that, you're guaranteed. Whereas if you sponsor a player in a regular tournament, you don't know what table they'll be on. This was Karen Wilson's complaint when he, last season, he was talking about not being on table one. One of the reasons was he had a new sponsor um, and he wanted exposure for them because obviously that was part of the deal um, in being... Logo sponsor, you're going to get value from that by appearing on TV. And if you're on a back table, you don't get as much exposure. Um, anyway, I hope that uh, answers your question. Now we have uh, Dave Daly from Seattle. He says, Now we have 10 Chinese players formally suspended. What happens to the 128 places if that suspension turns to formal bans? Do players ranked 17 and 18, who at the time of writing are Gary Wilson and Dave Gilbert, automatically get promoted into the top 16? If, for example, Xiaoxing Tong and Yan Bing Tao end up formally banned. And what happens in the 128-119 2, 2, 1, 1, positions if all 10 got banned? Do the next eligible players previously knocked off the tour automatically get their t- c- tour cards back? Michael Holt, for example, seems to get pulled into ranking events periodically if there have been other dropouts. I would love to see Holty back on tour. I enjoyed his run at the shootout. Well, Dave... Um, because the time frame is important here. Well, firstly, we don't know if anyone will be banned, but the time frame is important. Let's say these players are still suspended by the time of the World Championship. Then, absolutely, whoever's 17 and 18 would move into the top 16. Their, their seeding position would move up. So, in the case of Gary Wilson, for example, if he's 17, he would, he would move up. And that number 18 would move up, etc, etc. Uh, in terms of the actual tour construction, we'll, we'll have to see, won't we, at the end of the season... Um, exactly Whether it will affect how many players get relegated whether it Because you, you need at least 128 players next season If we were to lose some And we don't know yet what's going to happen But if we were to lose some Obviously we have to make those players back Or the more places from Q school maybe More places from the one year list But none of that can really be decided Until we know the result of this um, Whole inquiry into these players So I'm sure that will be looked at very uh, earnestly, but only when we know exactly what's happened to these players. And indeed, when, you know, it, it, we don't really know how long this is going to last. But in terms of, for example, the World Championship, and that's why Michael Hawke got in the shootout. There was another place opened up. Yeah, it will be taken from Q School top-ups and, 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 and so on in terms of coming into the one to 8 Although the World Championship is one isn't it now? Uh, but in terms of top 16 seeding, yeah, they'll, they'll go off uh, off the, the next one on the list That's already happened of course for the Masters uh, Gilbert and Hussain Faye got in that tournament Because they were the next players uh, on the ranking list Now I've had a, a long email from another Davy, Which Davy, if you don't mind I'm going to deal with next week Because I, I want to read it all out But it's a bit long for this week So uh, Davy is from uh, Brussels I believe And uh, I will read it out I promise next week So you know gird your loins and all that Um we we'll get to it next week because it is interesting and I do want to comment on it, but I don't want to gloss over it. Um, so that will be coming next week. Um, as it is for this week, that seems to be about it for now. Um, so thanks for all the uh, emails. Do get in touch about that earpiece and anything else that you know. Should the Players Series defending champions be seeded through uh, the following year? All that stuff. You know, it's it's not world altering matters, but you know, it fills half an hour. <laughs> and, and that's our promise. Every week, we're going to fill half an hour. Um, we're proud members of the sports social network. Check out the other podcasts. You can email us snooker scene podcast at mail dot com. That's snooker scene podcast at mail dot com. Uh, this week is the Championship League. Some big hitters in that. Some big hitters. I mean, you, you look at the uh, the the first group. So it's so, actually so Group Five um, being played on Tuesday and Wednesday. So there's obviously players coming in. As people know the format, I'm sure players coming in. And they're new players But the players in this group So we've got four world champions Neil Robertson, Mark Williams, John Higgins and Mark Selby It's basically a Hall of Fame Plus Dave Gilbert, Robert Milkins Of course have been in great form And Matt Seltz who's been in there since Group 1 So that's uh, the first group And then coming in Thursday, Friday We've got Yu Long, Luca Purcell and Anthony McGill So it's it's, uh, High quality stuff And that will be uh, Check out the Championship League website In terms of where you can actually watch that uh, it is available, I believe, on their Facebook page. But um, anyway, check that out for for full details. Um, and then next week, of course, the Welsh Open, uh, and and so on and so on. It is a busy time, certainly for snooker fans. It's um, tournaments now most weeks. It, kind of March it stops a little bit, doesn't it? But uh, even even then, we've got that WST Classic. No news yet on how to watch that. Um, I suspect it will be on a streaming platform, but. Um, you know, hopefully, World Snook will make a make something of that because you know, out of the ashes and all that, they can actually, rather than just going out anonymously, they could actually do a bit of production around it, maybe just to sort of, you know, make it look like a thing, which it is. It's actually, I think, a really good event to to, to put on. Anyway, that's it. Uh, I will leave it at that. But thanks for your company, and as we always say, goodbye. Bye.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.